hey welcome to another episode of the anxiety wad podcast i'm your host Corey. thankful you guys are here once again on another episode uh so what's been going on lately i i signed up for a mountain meltdown it's called i think it's chris spieler's event um this one is in minnesota that we're doing i know there's quite a few locations but what it is it's a 5k and I think there's five stations of Metcons that you do in between running, which if you know me, I am not built for distance nor speed. (laughs) Uh, You know, with all my surgeries and whatnot, I've had to relearn how to run. And one of my goals for 2019 was to get better at running. And what a better way to do so than to do a CrossFit running event, right? (laughs) Now Swedberg convinced me to do it, and I was like, yeah, all right. We were talking about some stuff at work, and I pulled it up, and the login was right there, and I was kind of kind of bouncing back and forth on it. So I finally just pulled the trigger. Um, it's in about three weeks here from uh, the date that I'm recording this, and it's going to force me to get uncomfortable, practice running, uh, push through the calf tightness, the tightness that I get in my legs from running and, and just get a lot better. And it's kind of what I'm looking for. Um, I I always like to train for something. I I always like to, uh, push myself into the discomfort by, uh, like competition. It just seems to work out best for me if I have something to train for. So I got that coming up. Um, what else? I, uh, connected with a few people here. We're going to start putting some stuff together. Um, might have a seminar coming up and, um, at, at the seminar, uh, you'll be able to buy a ticket, and with that ticket fee, you will also hopefully get the workbook. So more information coming on that. It's going to be local here in Minnesota. Um, the first one I'm going to do is going to be a little bit smaller, just to kind of test the waters of it, test things out, and see how it goes, and go from there. On today's show, we're going to talk about is anxiety inherited. Uh, I may have talked about this a little bit. Um, I did a little bit more research on this, a little bit more reading. Then we're going to talk about if you have a panic attack and let's say first responders come, how will they treat you or what to expect or what are they thinking? Um, and then self-talk. Let's talk negative self-talk, guys. It's uh, it's going to eat you up alive if you're someone that kind of lives in that space. It, I was someone that did that, uh, being, being an achiever when uh, my... My avenue for achievement was um, removed from my life. I, I became very negative internally. So it's something that I can speak to. So let's talk some anxiety. Here we go. How you guys like that new beat? <laughs> I found it today and I was just like, man, I kind of like that. I'm going to throw that in there. So anxiety and it being inherited. Now it depends upon where you're looking and what kind of research you're doing um, to find this out. Now what I've read so far is that brain composition and the areas of your brain that are more dominant than others are inherited. Um, You know, that's, it's, it's such a, a crazy thing, anxiety, because there's not one root cause. That's the thing that I, I have a hard time with studies that find that anxiety is inherited. Now, the tendency to have an anxious thought or an anxious um, mindset, I, I believe that can be inherited. Now, for me, 
I don't know if my own anxiety caused my son's, uh, and I, it doesn't serve me well to think that it did. You know, that'd be a, a good place where I could, you know, later in the episode where I'm talking about negative self-talk. Now, if I spend a lot of my time thinking that, yeah, my own anxiety caused my son's, I'm just, just beating myself up. Now, what I can do is I can focus on helping him out more so than, okay, did I do this? And if I did, what purpose is that going to serve me to know for sure that I caused it? I, it's not, I can't change it. You know, he has it. It's just something we have to deal with it. What I can do is teach him how to think. And that's what I'm more concerned about. So that's my thoughts on it originally, uh, out of the gate. But, you know, there's MRI studies out there that, that can pinpoint brain networks. And, you know, they play the part in the, the overly anxious behavior. I, I know that for sure. But, um... You know, I don't, I don't know, and I don't believe that they can say, yep, that's lit up. Yes, this person's going to have anxiety. Because it can be lit up and then not have anxiety. Like you can, like for me, like my brain right now, being that I'm not a very anxious person anymore, that part of the brain hasn't changed. It's just my thinking has changed. My, the part of the brain that causes anxiety is, is in the amygdala. Um, you know, it's, it's like the extended part of the amygdala, which if you don't know what that is, don't worry. I didn't until I looked it up, but my sons may be exactly the same, but what's different, you know, it's, it's our thinking, right? How, how he thinks is different from how I think. Now I'm teaching him how to think, but inherited, you know, there's, there's a lot of studies out there about uh, mental health being inherited now schizophrenia I know runs in from family to family family member to family member uh, manic depression um, and, and there's some other more significant ones and it's just such a hard thing to to know for sure and point out for sure because there's not really one root cause of anxiety now you can get to your triggers and figure out what's going to um, crank up your anxiety and you can get to certain life events that um, I can figure out which one started it, but I can't say, yeah, my mom gave me my, her, my anxiety. You know what I mean? It just, I, don't, I have a hard time believing that it's just an inherited trait and it's something that, now, I am someone that believes that I'm in control of my own, not destiny, that sounds kind of cheesy, but I mean, I am in control of uh, the perception of my own life and the quality of my life is, going to be determined by the quality of my thoughts. So I, I focus more so on that type of thing because that's something I can affect. I can't affect what my parents gave me, um, you know, and what I inherited from them. I can't affect that. But I, what I can do is I can change my thoughts. I can change my circumstance. I can change my environment. I can change the amount of things in my life that I'm grateful for. The more that you see that you're grateful for, the more you're going to have to be thankful for. So it's, it's a difficult question and I'm sorry, I really don't have like a better answer, but for me, I think that it's really, um, it's not really a point of interest for me personally, just because it's not something that I can affect. So, you know, I hope that helps. I, I would suggest like looking up some of the articles online. There's, there's definitely, definitely like, you know, medical news today and all these medical journals out there that will talk about it. And they're going to find studies that 
you know, they'll do studies in different kinds of chimpanzee and, and you know, analyze the brain composition and they'll do CAT scans, CT scans and, and MRIs of the brain and say, yes, these people have anxiety. Yes, these things are predictors, but it's so hard to say this is the cause of anxiety. It's just, it's not one thing because there's so many things that can cause it in every other person. Like, you know, I hate snakes and I freak out about snakes and I make a ridiculous noise when I see one and I always look around to make sure nobody saw, saw me freak out, but my son could pick one up probably. You know what I mean? So it's not like it's identical. Um, now the propensity and the tendency for anxious thoughts and, and an anxious person and a nervous person may but I just, I, you can't just put your finger on one thing. So I hope that helps. Um, the best thing you can do is if, if, if this question is a parent asking because you're worried that you've given your, your, uh, your son or your daughter anxiety, it doesn't matter. You know, what matters is what you do with that reality. Help your, your son or your daughter become a good person and teach them how to think. Don't teach them what to think. And don't beat yourself up. There's nothing you can do about it. It's out of your control. You know, just let it go, let it float away, and move on. So I hope that one helps. You know, it's it's kind of a janky question, a janky, not a janky question, excuse me, a janky answer. It's a great question, but it's just that for me, it's just not something that, it was something I really struggled with because you want to place blame and you want to blame it on something, but it doesn't help. So, all right, next up. Um... If emergency responders respond, how will they treat you? Now, I was someone that would always go to the ER. I'd always get hooked up to EKGs. I'd always get hooked up to, you know, my heart. I would do my blood pressure. They'd check my pulse and all that stuff. And um, their biggest concern was heart attack. And obviously mine was too because my heart felt like it was going to pop through my throat. It never really did, but it felt that way. And that's that was my tune in that's what I would tune into would be my heart and that would start my panic attack and you know you always want to you know know about what to watch out for but ask the EMTs and ask the ER doctor don't look it up online (laughs) that was the worst thing I could have done was I looked it up online and that really freaked me out and just made it worse so um you know, what, what they're going to do is they're going to ask you, like, some of the symptoms. They're going to ask you, you know, what's going on, how you feel. They're going to take your blood pressure. They're going to check your pulse. And <clears throat> what what would help them out is letting them know that you're someone that has panic attacks, right? Like, they're, they're the right pre- people, excuse me, they are the right people to be there at that time to help you through a panic attack. And I've said this before that I, I'm not aware of anybody that has ever died from a panic attack. So like they're going to help you out. Like they'll probably, what, what, what I've had done before is they give me the oxygen, oxygen mask and then they eventually can either give you a sedative like through, with a shot, like a shot of Valium, which um, when my panic attacks were really, really bad, that's, that's um, what they would do is give me the Valium or they'll give you a, a something to take. Uh, like a lorazepam, an Ativan, or something like that, that can help you calm down. And like I said, let them know what's going on because they're going to be able to help you through it. And, you know, it's, it's difficult for them to know the difference. 
because it does present itself in the same manner. You know, you, some, you can get chest pains, you can get a pain down the arm, you can get a rapid pulse, you can get high blood pressure, you can get sweaty. It, it presents itself very similar, even though the underlying, um, uh, what's it called? Under, well, the underlying um, cause is not causing a heart attack. It's your brain. Your brain is causing those symptoms. It's the adrenaline dump cranks up all those symptoms and it feels similar to a heart attack. Uh, at one point I had uh, what is called costochondritis and that's just an inflammation in your rib, rib cage and it kind of clamps down on your heart and you get very similar symptoms to a heart attack, uh, mine did anyways, and it, it, it presents itself in different areas. But um, I, I got rushed to the ER and they hooked me up and all the tests came back and I on the way there I was you know, thinking about my, because it happened to me when I was in California, and I was thinking about my family and my friends, and, uh, you know, it was kind of the, you know, the last, you know, will and testament in my brain on the way there, and it ended up being nothing. Um, it was a very traumatic experience, so it ended up causing me many, many, many more panic attacks, but I didn't listen to the ER doctor. He showed me right on the screen, he's like, your heart is fine. You're, you're freaking yourself out. And you have this inflammation in your chest cavity that's putting a little pressure on your heart, but your actual heart is fine. You know, and then I, I moved back home and I had some MRIs and this is around the same time that my neck started flaring up. So it was a, um, a combination of both of those two things that really set me off. And, you know, I wish, I really wish I would have just listened and said, okay, in my brain, everything's going to be fine. Now I... Unfortunately for me, I had the, the neck thing going on as well, but like my heart was fine, but I decided to take that story and run with it and create all these narratives. But getting back to the first responders, you can help them out by letting them know it's a panic attack. They're going to help you versus um, freak you out by doing the, the, the um, heart attack protocol. And that's what you can freak yourself out with too is telling yourself it's a heart attack but if it's a panic attack which it more than likely is if you're someone with anxiety it's not that serious as a heart attack it may feel like it and you may uh, convince yourself otherwise but it's not it's just it's like the flight or fight response is an adrenaline dump it's like when you are super excited your mind is in a happy state because it's excitement when you're terrified, the, the physical response is the same way as excitement. It's just your mindset is different. So take some time to think about that. When you're excited, all of the physical response that you have with adrenaline, like super adrenaline high, like, like I don't even know. what <laughs> I'm not really much for adrenaline anymore, but like for me it would be competing. Or if you're someone that likes skydiving or parasailing or whatever you do for an adrenaline rush, that physical response you get is pretty much the same thing from a body chemistry, from you know the, all the bio, biometric markers. It's the same thing. It's just your mind is different. Like you're fearful. You have all these different um, ticks and all these different feelings because you're tuned into your body because you're freaking yourself out and so you're scared. It's like when you go through a haunted house, if you know, a majority of you guys that have anxiety probably don't do that. Like I wouldn't, I'd probably end up punching people, but 
<clears throat> that's just my knee-jerk responses <laughs> as to self-defense. But, you know, that uh, haunted house reaction is the same thing as excitement. It's crazy, isn't it? Anyways, so, again, uh, getting back to the EMTs, I don't have a whole lot of experience with that. That's kind of why I'm talking around it. But uh, tell them that you have panic attacks. Let them know. Um, let them know what works. What they're going to do is ask you. Uh, they'll probably give you like sips of water. They'll probably put an oxygen mask on your face. If you're someone that knows that sedatives work, say, hey, you know, sedatives worked in the past. Can you give me a low dose of Valium? And it will calm you right down if they can give you a shot intravenously or whatever. And let them know. Just more communication is always better. And I hope that you can convince yourself that it's not your heart. Like I said, not a whole lot of people have died from panic attacks, if any. I don't know of any. Like I, I've researched this for 20 years now, just personally and as a coach. I just I haven't re- come across and be like, oh yeah, and then they died of a panic attack. I just that doesn't happen. What happens is people don't put the work in to figure out their anxiety, and then they die from overdoses. Now this is something that probably very likely could have happened to me, and by overdose I mean mixing alcohol with anti-anxiety medications with painkillers and with sleep medicine. It's a combination, it's just a chemistry set of medications that you take when you're in that mindset. That's what killed Heath Leisure. You know, he wasn't sleeping, he was taking Ambient. He had pain, he was taking pain medications, he had anti-anxieties, antidepressants, and alcohol. Boom, dead. So, be very, very careful. Make sure you're honest with all your doctors on the medications you're taking. And if you have a panic attack, that might be a good thing to tell the EMT as well. But more information is better. Let them know what helps you out. Let them know what they can do to help you. And they're going to do it. Their job is to save you. And whatever you need, let them know. And again, I apologize. That's not one that I know very well. It's not one I have experience with. I'm more of one that would drive to the ER, which I don't know if that was a great idea at the time, but... Sometimes I'd have my mom take me because I was living close enough to her that she could just, you know, throw me in the car and we'd, we'd hightail it over about 10 miles and get hooked up and be fine. So, all right. The third question is negative self-talk. Now, this is something I was very familiar with. I was a, a very high-level athlete at one point in my life, and I was just actually talking to someone about this the other day that you self-identify as a certain thing and when that certain thing is gone or changes or is taken from you you're lost and so when i was lost it was almost like in a movie when you see that one per- one friend in the movie that is always overreacting or over dramatic and freaking out that inner voice in me was that person like oh my god what are you going to do you don't have this oh my god what are you going to do you suck oh my god you suck and then it was just like you suck and that's oversimplifying, but eventually that's where my mindset was. Like you, you have no more control. You have no more, you have nothing else to achieve and being a, you know, if you know Enneagram at all, I'm a number three, I'm an achiever and my happiness is based on achievement or it was at one point, you know, obviously I've, I've got around that being the sole uh, way that I'm happy, but 
When sports was gone, I had no idea who I was as a person because that's what I identified with. That's what everybody told me that I was. That's what I told myself that I was. And so I was very, very good at sports and all these achievements and all the, these accolades helped me, may help me feel good about myself. And when the costochondritis happened, the, the nerve flare-up happened, I had to retire. I did end up trying out one or two more times, but my anxiety was so bad that I did underperformed. Like I was, I was very, very close a few times to playing in the NFL, but my anxiety was a point. It just, I, it was a roadblock. Like I wouldn't allow myself to push past that, and I ended, and you know, I ended up having to retire. And then I went on this journey of searching for who was I outside of sports, and I tried a gang of things. <laughs> I tried to be um, a Muay Thai kickboxer, which for me, that was that was another way to achieve something. I ended up enjoying more so of being come, becoming like an instructor. And so I was a level two Muay Thai instructor for a while. Um, but then I went on these this kick of like trying friend groups. And then I would go on this kick of dating. And then I would go on this kick of, well, I'm going to take up hobbies. And then all these other things. And when I would fail at them, I would get this in my head of this, my own worst critic. This was just because I wasn't achieving what I wanted to. And the, the same, well, for, you know, the other thing with sports is it was my flow state. Like it was my calm. It was like everything got quiet. And, you know, after I found out that I had ADD, that all made sense. And I was like, oh, okay. So I could put that to rest eventually. But for a good five to eight years, the, the toll of negative self-talk, it just limited my thinking. You know, I, I became this perfectionist. Like, it wasn't great if it wasn't perfect. You know, that, that perfection is unattainable. But for me, I was so lost that I wanted to find my true north, and I couldn't find that without sports in my mind at the time. That's before I started my morning routine. That's before I started being my own biggest cheerleader inside my head, no matter what little thing went right in my day positively, I would give myself a hand clap. But back then, it was only negative. I was generally upset with myself for not knowing who I was without even knowing it. You know, I was depressed because I couldn't, um, I couldn't have a positive conversation with myself. It would just exacerbate things. And, you know, I was just, it was just damaging to my brain. It was just... It ended up being depressed, and then I was on depression medication, which that didn't really do anything. And then I got onto anti-anxiety medications that helped a little bit. Um, but I also struggled with relationships because if you don't feel good about yourself, everybody else is going to see it. People like you're disingenuine. No, you're not. You're not genuinely yourself if you're talking negatively about yourself. Our natural state is joy. Period. Full stop. Think about it. Think about a baby, you know, they cry when they're hungry or they cry when they're uncomfortable or they need to be changed. But for the most part, babies are happy. Kids are happy for the most part, unless they're crazy and the moon is like, <laughs> it's a full moon. But generally kids are happy. There's a point in time where that changes for us because our inner dialogue changes. They're none the wiser to critics. They're none the wiser to peer groups. They're none the wiser to Whatever life circumstances and the environment you grew up in change that for you. 
There's a point in time where you take a left turn in our lives, especially if you're someone with negative self-talk, that our inner dialogue changes and it disrupts everything in our life. And the way we can change that is to tweak our inner dialogue and set up our own new metrics. So metrics, how do we measure what makes us happy? How do we measure what brings us joy? How do we measure what is great? How do we measure what is good enough? And by we, I mean you. You decide, no one else. My kids will squabble and I'll be like, what does that mean to you? Is that what you really think? It's like, he called me X. I'm like, well, are you? What matters is what you think. It doesn't matter what he thinks, right or not. What do you think? And <laughs> it's good practice for me to kind of get back to my baseline of that because sometimes I am my worst critic. Like there's times lately with training for this mountain meltdown, my, my body's like struggling. Like I'm not a good runner and I have to force myself to do it. And it would be very easy to fall back into that tendency after sports and be like, well, you just don't have it anymore. Like you're old, you're old, you're washed up. Right. And so I catch that critic and I remember that my thoughts and feelings aren't always reality. And I, <laughs> it's funny because I call my inner critic a turd. I'm like, oh, there's the turd again. And people that know me, that, that probably is not a surprise, but like, it's good to give your inner critic a nickname because it disassociates itself from you. Like, I'm not a turd. I mean, I can be if I want to be a smart ass, but my inner critic is a turd. And then try to contain your negativity. Like if you find yourself like engaging in negative self-talk, it helps to contain the damage, you know, in the critical inner voice that causes by only allowing it to criticize certain things in your life, right? There's only certain things that you're going to allow that to do. Especially if you're trying to change, be like, okay, when I reevaluate things in my day, I'm only going to let my inner critic pop up when I'm evaluating that, and then I'm going to tell it what I really think. So cross-examine it. Like say, hey, you know, good cop, bad cop type of thing. Like, okay, turd, is that true? Are you, are you really washed up? Are you really old? Does your body really not work? Or is it a little under-recovered? Which usually, you know, me, Corey, can tell that turd where to go. <laughs> right? Just I cross-examine it, and I'm good cop, bad cop. And then, you know, the other thing is, is think like a friend would like, what would you, what advice would you give your friends? If you heard your friends talking like that, what advice would you give them? And then give that to yourself. And it, it really will shift your perspective and, and it'll just really help being like, well, maybe I'm just being mean to myself. I really don't need to do that. I wouldn't talk to my friends like that. Would you talk to your kids like that or your significant other? You know, if, you, if you're a parent, how are you talking to your kids? Are you, are you a critic? Or are you a coach? Like you don't want to be the best friend to your kids. You can be when you're having experiences. But when it really matters, you don't want to be a critic. You want to be a coach. Like here's, here's you know, I, I understand what you're saying. Here's what I think you should do. What do you think you should do? Okay, that sounds good. Well, let's try this, okay? And that's, that's, that's how I talk to my kids for the most part. You know, sometimes when the, like the moon is full and they're hopped up on sugar, I'm like, you guys are nuts. The other thing you can do, and I'm just kind of going through some of the things I wrote down here, is say it out loud. 
when you catch yourself thinking negatively and beating yourself up, being like, that's not true, right? Or this is even better yet, is if there's someone around and you really want to change fast, be like, okay, I just said that I'm washed up and I suck. Like I would, if I say that to my wife, she's going to be like, why? <laughs> Look what you've done. You know, I've been on the whole 30 for about three months now and I'm down 20 pounds. I, I, if I would say, yeah, I'm washed up, be like, well, look what you just did, right? You're, you're training a lot more than you used to. Of course, you're going to be sore. The other thing you can do is just stop the thought being like, nope. And then flip it to the exact opposite, that flip flop, teeter totter. Or like, I'm washed up, be like, nope. Nope. You're training for something you haven't done in five years. You haven't done a running race in five years and you had to relearn how to run it. That's so that's reality. You had to relearn how to run. So you're not washed up. You're in better shape than you were three years ago. So flip flop that, that thought and replace the bad with the good. You know, what works for me is I, t- I, c- I write it down like what my negative thought is. And then I write the exact opposite of what I want my reality to be. And then I cross out the negative one and I reread that want, that positive thought over and over. Reprogramming your brain is as simple, is as simple as repetition. Seems oversimplified, but the reality is of it. Our brains, they're programmable. You know, our kids learn from us through example our brains and our beliefs are fabricated through repetition if you want different beliefs if you want a different reality if you want a different perspective reprogram your brain through repetitive thoughts your negative self-talk is a roadblock to joy and happiness but it was it is 100% reprogrammable through willpower, do not give up on yourself. You can do this. I promise you. Have a peaceful morning, afternoon, or evening. Thanks for swinging by, guys. I appreciate it. See you!